Take your Bibles and turn with us, please, to Genesis chapter number 40, the book of Genesis chapter number 40. When you see Brian Jenkins next, I know he's gone to see his brother be baptized today, but when you run into him next, whether it be Wednesday night or next Sunday, tell him, just tell him, it got out of the banks. You shouldn't have missed. And if he asks what happened, just say, I can't tell you. You just should have been there, Brian. You're going to have to quit missing church. And uh, Jay Pruitt to tell him, uh, I, won't, I won't ever forget, I, I'd just come to the church, and I, I did not know. I, I did not know anybody well, and Jay and Brian, uh, you would have thought they were going to fight. Uh, one smarted off at the other one. The other one smarted back. And you'd have thought they were about to fight. They're still that way. But they're just good friends, and we're picking uh, back and forth. And uh, I, I soon learned them. Brian, as a matter of fact, he's one of those guys, he'll say something to you, and you don't realize what he said until, he, until you get away from him, and then it gets all over and you get about half mad at him, right? He'll set you up. And I remember saying not long after I came, I said, I'm horrible with names, and I am. I was at Thrasher for four years. Uh, Miss Judy Eaton, I called her Miss Gail for four years. I announced the resignation on a Sunday night, and she come around, and she was just so tickled. And she said, you know, she said, I need to tell you something. She said, my name is Judy. She said, you have called me Gail for four years. And she got tickled and patted me on the back, and I said, I am so sorry. But I remember saying right after I came here, I said, look, until I shake your hand and call you by your name, please, when I shake your hand, tell me who you are. Tell me your name. And then it'll take me a while to learn you. And I won't ever forget, Brian told me about, uh, about Andra. I said, now, what's her name? He said, Andrea. <laughs> and I said something about Andrea in front of the church one Sunday, and she shook her head, and Jay shook his head. <laughs> and I think about everybody knew Brian Jenkins was the culprit. So you put it on him when you see him next. Will you, will you do that? Will you help me with that? I was talking to Brother Reese Key this past week, and just asking him how things are in Georgia, and he wanted to know how things are with us. And wanted to know when we were going to kind of get back to uh, what we're used to as far as our revivals and missions conferences. And I told him, hopefully, by summer revival in July, Brother Dana Williams would be back with us, and we'll just get back to what we normally do. Of course, we're getting to um, Sunday school next Sunday. This COVID thing, you young people will remember this all your life. Uh, we'll, some of us who are older than you is going to pass off the scene one of these days, some of us sooner than later. Um, you remember these days. And remember not to take for granted the gathering, congregational singing, the piano playing, uh, smiles and hands in the air, amens across the congregation. I think of this past 13, 14 months has taught me anything. And what we've witnessed, I enjoyed outside. I, I honestly, I, I love preaching in the open air. If you'll remember the first Sunday or two we did that, I wore my overalls. I'd always heard story, stories about Bilbo Lively going to trade day on Main Street in New Albany. I don't know why. New Albany's got that thing backwards. You know, their Main Street is Bankhead. Main Street's on the backside of town. Used to have trade day. I've heard preachers talk about all my life. Bilbo Lively couldn't read or write. He'd get up on the back of a flatbed trailer. His wife would read the text, 
and he'd set in to preaching. They saw people saved on Saturday morning trade day. He'd preach in his overalls and an old wore-out shirt, pair of boots, work boots. Always wanted to preach them overalls outside, and I've had an opportunity to do that. And uh, I have no complaints. I have no complaints. I wish we had not faced what we faced. I know the devil knows all about it. I know he's done a work, but God's done a work as well. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to read all of Genesis chapter number 40. We'll read all of Genesis chapter number 40. I'm interested this morning in Joseph, a young man imprisoned. Genesis chapter number 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard. Now that would have been Potiphar's prisoners that he would have kept. Into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. Verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged uh, Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream, and one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his lord's house, saying, Wherefore look you sad, so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it, the three branches of three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. Uh, but, think on, uh, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews." And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the bird shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. 
And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Brother Johnny Wilder, would you pray for us, please? Thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. This is our fifth look into the life of Joseph. That we were just looking for, and it wouldn't bother me to have a shouting service, every service. But if we were just looking for a service for shouting or a ser- series of sermons, we could easily look at the life of Joseph as a type of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, there's much rejoicing when you look at Joseph. He looks an awful lot, points us to Jesus Christ. And perhaps we may preach a sermon or two along that line. We do rejoice in Christ. Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. This morning, looking at chapter number 40, of course, we'll notice Joseph, a young man, uh, imprisoned. If you'll remember, now this is our fifth look into his life. Our first look into his life, we noticed Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. He's God's iron man. He's God's strong man. Uh, We looked at Psalm 105 where the psalmist overviews the life of uh, Joseph and how God used Joseph to preserve his people, to spare them. And during a time of famine, he hid hid them out in Goshen. Uh, They were sheep herders, shepherds. And he gave them a place to grow from a group of people from 70 to about uh, 2.5 million people. What God did in the life of Joseph was he... He invested in Joseph, Joseph's life to build a man so that he might build a nation, so that he might reach the world. So we ought to thank God for Joseph and how God used him. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to behold, the psalmist uh, or the songwriter said. And certainly he does. He doesn't do things the way we would do them. We might come through the front door. He might take a detour and eventually come through the back door. But he always gets us to the place he wants us to be. So it is in the life of Joseph. To put iron in Joseph's soul came at a price. And of course, Joseph being the responsible man that he was, he paid attention at every turn in life, never becoming bitter, but always submitting to the Lord, knowing that God was working in his life to accomplish purposes. What those purposes would be, he did not fully understand. But he had a hint of it in the dreams he was given. We move back then to the book of Genesis in chapter 37. Of course, the story of Joseph begins before that. 
But really, we started, we put in at Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11, and we noticed that Joseph, a young man, singled out. He was singled out, you remember, we said, by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. One-fourth of the book of Genesis is devoted to the story of Joseph. He's singled out by his father and shown favoritism above all the other boys of the family. As a matter of fact, he gave him a coat of many colors. He's singled out by his brothers, at least his half-brothers, his ten half-brothers, and he's hated He's hated for his dreams. He's hated for his coat of many colors. He's hated because his father favors him and uh, seems to give to him and lean to Joseph. And then, of course, he's singled out by God and given the two dreams that he was given. He's a special uh, young man that God has selected for a special task. In our third message, we looked at Genesis 37, 12 to 36, and we noticed Joseph, a young man, hated. Joseph had a lot of burdens placed upon him. He had a lot put on his plate, you might say. He didn't ask for any of it. As a matter of fact, he's just living his life, and yet he's hated, mistreated. We spoke of many of his burdens, that uh, particular message. Of course, we also said that his burdens, believe it or not, the way that God is going to work in his life, his burdens are actually blessings in disguise. Uh, Again, God's going to take him the long way around to get him to where he needs to be, but there's reasons for that. There's reasons for it. Somehow through Joseph's dysfunctional family, somehow through the hatred of it all, the mockery, he was mocked for his dreams, the pain that he experienced, the anguish of his soul, somehow he testifies to us today to say, you know, through it all, God worked. Somehow God worked and brought me to where he brought me uh, in my life. We spoke while we were looking at Joseph, a young man hated. We spoke of the journey of Joseph the conspiracy against Joseph, the lying to Joseph's father. You remember the brothers took his coat of many colors, killed a goat, dipped the coat in blood, and said to Jacob, said, is this Joseph's coat? He said, surely it is. And surely an animal has rent him in pieces. Joseph is dead. He is not. Of course he was. He just didn't know where he was. But then the agony of Joseph. We closed that message that day. Uh, by, by reading what his brothers would later say some many years down the road when they too are put on the spot, standing before the prime minister of Egypt. They didn't know that they were standing before their own brother they had sold into slavery. They initially wanted to kill him, but they finally settled on selling him, you know, pulling him out of the pit, selling him to the Ishmaelites. Joseph has a beard. Thank God for the bearded life. Somebody say amen, Warren. And... Uh, But uh, they look back. Joseph now puts them on the spot. He needed to know that they were repentant. How do you know a man is repentant? How do you know a woman is repentant? How do you know your child is repentant and sorry for what they've done? Here's how you know. When you put them to the test again, do they commit the same sin? Do they commit the same trespass? If truly repentant, I don't go back and repeat myself uh, in the transgression. Listen to what the Bible says about the agony of Joseph. The brothers testifying among themselves from Genesis 42 and 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. Did you know your conscience is a powerful thing? It's amazing. You may have told a lie when you were a child and it still pricks your conscience. You didn't get that right. Or there's something in your life that is just amiss. And when your eyes meet someone else's eyes... you know, your conscience. What a powerful thing. 
They said this, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. Over 20 years earlier, they did what they did to Joseph, and it still bothers them to this day. In that we saw, listen to this, we saw the anguish of his soul. When he besought us, in other words, he begged us, please don't do this to me. I'm your brother, for God's sake. For heaven's sake, don't do this to me. He wept. He begged his brothers, please, take me. Don't let them take me in the caravan. Don't let them treat me the way that they will treat me. Don't let me be taken to a foreign land among strange people and strange customs. When he besought us and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon him. So the last time they saw Joseph, he was crying. He was sobbing like a baby. And it still bothered them to that very day that they testified to this. Of course, we say what we said that sermon. Weep now, Joseph. Grieve now if you must, Joseph. Get it out. God's going to take you across two decades. He's going to get all the tears out of you. He's going to put you to the test in many ways. But these people that have turned their back on you are going to need you one day. They're going to need you to save them and their babies and their grandbabies. The country of Israel is going to need for you to put them, put them on your shoulders and carry them through seven years of famine. Weep now, Joseph. We're going to need you after a while. Usually it is that those have been crushed and keep the right attitude and submit to God. God will use them. We move from that, of course, our last look at Joseph's life. And the message I won't keep you long today with today's message, but we looked at Joseph, a young man tested, Genesis 39. We talked about how the favor of God is upon Joseph. And we said a word about our salvation, how we are a blessed people, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. We talked about how that Potiphar's wife wants a place in Joseph's life. And we spoke of temptation in the believer's life. You face it, and I face it. We needn't say that we live above sin. Brother R.J. Wildman used to say the only way to live above sin is to rent your room above the pool hall. He said that's about the only way you are going to live above sin. According to Romans chapter 7, great theological chapter, the only time you're going to get away from sin is when they lay this body back down to the sod and your spirit is gone on to be with our glorious Lord. It's at that time that... Uh, that uh, when the Spirit leaves the body, that you will have uh, gotten over sin, but not until then. And then we talked about, and we closed last message with, talking about Joseph and how false accusation leads to wrongful imprisonment in Joseph's life. We just said a brief word about discrimination. Some of you perhaps have been discriminated against at school or maybe on the job. You got passed over for a promotion because you're a Christian. Somebody less qualified, with less seniority, perhaps, climbed the ladder before you did. Many applications could be made. This morning, Joseph, a young man imprisoned, he's shut up and he cannot escape his plight. He's locked up to his situation and cannot seem to escape where he is. I want to speak under three headings. First of all, the imprisonment of Joseph. Secondly, simply the imprisonment of the butler and the baker. And then lastly, the integrity of Joseph. He remains faithful through it all. Now I want you to consider with me the imprisonment of Joseph. Look back with me at chapter 39, the last three verses. We close with a brief word. We'll open with a brief word out of these verses uh, today. The imprisonment of Joseph. Verses 21 to 23, the Bible says in chapter 39 of Genesis, But the Lord was with Joseph 
and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph has been falsely accused by man, but it appears that he's divinely sentenced by God. As hard as the devil is working against him, as much as it seems that life itself is against Joseph, God still has a purpose for this young man. And though he is in prison, God's going to use even the adversity in his life to shape him and to mold him. Again, to spare his own people in coming days of famine. I want you to consider and remember with me the, the dreams of Joseph. You remember they, that he was given two dreams. There are a couple of men in the Old Testament that were given dreams that really stand out, both of them young men. Both of them are outstanding men as far as the Scriptures are concerned. They are Joseph and they are Daniel. And, of course, God gave to Joseph two dreams. In, in his first dream, you'll remember there were the 11 sheaves bowing before him. And he shared those dreams, didn't he? And, of course, uh, the, uh, the, the, the interpretation of that dream was that Joseph saw his own brothers bowing before him. Though he's the next to the youngest boy, um, they're bowing before him. In his second dream, he saw the sun and the moon and the stars, the 11 stars. And, of course, that was his father. That was his mother and his 11 brothers. And, of course, he, he shared that with his family. Even his father is disturbed because of it. And he saw them making obeisance unto him. And, of course, he shared that as a young man. Those that have written and preached on the life of Joseph say that if there's any mark on his resume, if there's anything maybe he should have done differently, perhaps it was he should have kept his dreams uh, to himself. Maybe he shouldn't have spoken up, a, uh, spoken about his dreams so early. Uh, maybe God gave that to Joseph and he should have kept a lid uh, on what God was doing. I considered that uh, this week off and on. Of course, he was a young man. We in our youth did things and said things that uh, we don't do today. It takes time. Across time, God teaches us and he, 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 uh, he shapes us, right? It's the process we know to be sanctification. But uh, listen to a verse or two that I thought about immediately when I would read these others and listen to sermons. I'm trying to listen to others. Every day I listen to someone that has preached a message on Joseph and the text that I'm approaching for the week. But I couldn't help but think when I'd hear these men or read these men say that about Joseph. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are... And all Macedonian, we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And listen to this. Now, Paul gets in our business here. He says, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. It takes time to learn to be quiet. It takes time to learn to do your business. It takes time to mind your own business and be quiet about it. And you tend to your family and you tend to yourself. And you tend to the affairs of your life and let the world sail on by. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but it is a biblical, biblical thing to do. Joseph will learn the lesson. He'll learn it well. As a matter of fact, he's going to guide 
this nation of, of Egypt and the nation of Israel and other foreigners through that famine that I mentioned to you. And he's going to do it with a steady hand. If people complain, with a steady hand he'll guide. If people don't understand and try to, uh, try to undermine him, he'll just keep marching on. He knows, uh, he knows where God has brought him to in life, and he lets the rest of it lie by the wayside. I want to say something to our hearts. Do you remember the Sunday, year before last, I, I was preaching, and, and uh, what was in my heart got in the way of the message. I set my notes aside. Uh, I had more calls, perhaps, about that message than I have of any the last four or five years of the nine years that I have been here. You remember we talked about a verse that was working in my heart where Solomon talked about the blessing of closeness and the blessing of distance. It's a blessing to have people who are close to you. And it's a blessing to put distance between you and those people too. We are to be mindful of our wife and our husband and our mom and our dad and our children. And then there's a close circle that is around us. You'll do good not to put your nose in someone else's business nor allow anyone to know too much about your business too. If you'll say amen, I won't labor that. I'll finish this message today. And that's just the way it works. So we consider and we remember the dreams of Joseph. And then let's consider and remember the temptations of Joseph. You remember that's what's got him here, this false accusation when he was tempted. Joseph's been put to the test in many areas of his life. Now listen, I'm convinced personally, this is a personal observation. I'm convinced that these temptations, I'm going to mention to you, I'm convinced that God was working all of this out of the heart of Joseph over these two decades plus before he's going to meet his brothers. God has to get some things out of it. And if you'd be honest today, God has had to work some things out of your life, out of your mind. Maybe maybe it's attitude or, or some deed that, that you habitually have practiced. Joseph's going to learn how to handle plenty. Joseph's going to learn how to handle poverty. Joseph's going to learn how to handle uh, persecution. You'll remember the test of uh, prosperity. Uh, you remember the Bible says in Joseph that, that uh, God blessed Joseph. And everything his hand touched, God blessed. God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. God blessed the prisoners and the keeper of the prison because of Joseph. God is prospering him, and Joseph passes the test. He learns his lesson, and he passes the test and proves to be a good steward. Joseph is a man who is trustworthy. You, you can trust him whether he's in your presence, or you can trust him when he's outside of your presence. Joseph has a loyalty about him. He's loyal to God. He's loyal to Potiphar. He's loyal to uh, the keeper of the prison. Joseph has a loyalty about it. In Potiphar's house and in the prison house, he's given much responsibility and he's given much authority and he can handle both of them. Watch him as he's put to the test. Some people can't handle responsibility. They won't pay their bills. They will not keep their word. They cannot handle responsibility. Some people can't handle authority. Let them get a promotion on the job or let them get a little money in the bank account. And it seems to go to their head. And pride, they seem to forget where they come from. And pride begins to be a part of their lives. Joseph handles both of these areas, both responsibility and authority. There's the test of purity. Joseph proves to be a good saint. He maintains his testimony when Potiphar's wife, day after day, and 
most of us believe for year after year that Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife. When it comes to being tempted by Potiphar's wife to sensual sin, um, Joseph has some things settled in his heart we all can learn and profit thereby. Whatever your sin may be, Joseph is offended by sin. We keep the TV on too long. We're not offended anymore by sin. Uh, Vance Havner and J. Harold Smith, and I remember hearing Brother Doug Jones preach for Brother Marvin Ward at Cairo about 1992. He preached on getting used to the dark out of uh, Romans chapter number 13, uh, where, where Paul wrote that now it is uh, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. In other words, what Paul is saying is we're nearer to the coming of the Lord and it's getting mighty dark outside. Brother Doug, I remember that night he preached like his head was on fire. Preached with great conviction. He said, our problem today is we've got to the place. This was 1992, mind you, nearly 30 years ago. He said, we call old sins by new names. He said, we call adultery an extramarital affair. And we call fornication premarital sex. And we call sodomy an, uh, an alternative lifestyle. He said, we call thievery. Uh, and somebody who does such a, a prevaricator. Is that how you say that? And he said, our problem is we call old sins by new names. That's about the way it is. We've got to the place that sin and wickedness don't seem to offend us anymore. But sin offended Joseph because sin offends God. Joseph also teaches us when it came to his temptation to sensual sin. He, he, he taught us, remember, he's indebted to Potiphar. He could have been somewhere making, making brick for Potiphar or for Pharaoh out in the hot sun. But Potiphar's been good to him. He takes care of the affairs of the household. And he has a little better life than others. And he does not, he does not want to betray the loyalty that he owes to Potiphar, nor does he want to betray the Lord either. Joseph, Joseph also teaches us it's better to avoid the temptation and, either, and even flee temptation rather than having to face temptation. He removed himself countless times from the temptation and eventually Potiphar's wife gets his coat, but she never touched his character. Joseph passes the test. He's a good saint. He's trustworthy. And then there's the test of persecution. Joseph, again, proves to be good at submitting to God wherever he's at. I don't know where you are today, but here's what I do know. If you're saved by the grace of God, God has his eye on you, and he knows where you are. He knows what you face. And our Lord Jesus Christ is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Now, some of our trials are of our, are of our own making, right? Some of our valleys are self-inflicted, and then some of our valleys are not. And we just deal with what we deal with because life brings it that way. I love what Griffith Thomas, Griffith Thomas had a connection to the Dallas Theological Seminary in its inception for a number of years. Griffith Thomas writing about the experiences of Joseph in his commentary left behind on the book of Genesis. I love what he wrote. He wrote, and I quote, the secret of Joseph's character was his awareness of God's presence. Do you understand that God is present wherever you are, child of God? He listens to every conversation behind closed doors. On the telephone, he knows where you go. He knows what is in your heart. 
The secret of Joseph's character was his awareness of God's presence. To to the man who is very much aware that he is in the will of God, he will be comforted with the manifest presence and awareness of God's presence with him. Now, here's where we are. Joseph's in prison. He's been falsely accused, and he's wrongfully in prison. I was uh, one of the preachers I'm reading after is Gene Getz. He's got a, he's got several books that are excellent books on character studies in the Bible that, where he's preached series. When he gets to this chapter, he makes this statement in his opening remarks. He said, "I have been falsely accused, but I've never been in my life falsely accused and wrongfully imprisoned because of it." But he said, "I have been falsely accused," and he went on didn't give all the details. But here's what he said. He said, those that I was falsely accused by was, um, was some of my dearest friends in the ministry. And he, said, he said, they went after me and they hurt me. They said things that were untrue. And it was as though I had done something to offend them. And he said, I searched my heart and there was nothing to do. He said, I consulted my old pastor. And he said, he said my old pastor said, let God handle it. Don't you try to fight that. You let God fight your battles. Let God handle it. And God will sort it all out. And he said, I did that. He said, though it was very trying to just be quiet and walk on. When my name was being besmirched, he said, uh, he said I did. This my old pastor advised. And he said, I walked on in the midst of it all. And he said, in time, God vindicated just like my preacher said he would. And he said, come to find out what had happened was. He said, three or four of those men, that there were others that bought into the lies for a span of time. But he said, three or four of those men, I was getting real close to their sin. And he said, they were attacking me because they were guilty. And he said, later on, it was uncovered. He's been falsely accused. And a lot of times, I've, I've been, you've been, you've had things said about you. If you haven't, stick around a little while. It's just Sunday. The week is early. Stick around a little while. Your name will be mentioned somewhere. You're not of the assumption that, that uh, you are the best guy, the best gal in town, are you? You'll offend somebody before the week's out. Surely you will. I said to a young preacher months ago, he was concerned about what was being said. He had just learned. And uh, very distraught, as a matter of fact. And he said, what I do about us, don't do anything. And I said, won't you listen carefully to me? I said, it's none of your business what they say about you. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to fight the devil along the way. You're going to have to back up and let God have your battle. You better get used to criticism. It's par for the course. I wish it wasn't, don't you? I wish it wasn't. Joseph has now been falsely accused. He's wrongfully in prison. Sometimes in mistreatment, we respond the wrong way, don't we? I have. I sure have. If you won't admit it, I'll admit it. There have been times, Jimmy Franklin, I've just gotten mad. Sure I have. You have too. Donald has, hasn't he? He got mad. Sometimes when I've been mistreated, I've gotten bitter and let it, let that fester in my heart. You know how you get over being bitter at somebody? Job teaches us that. You pray for them. I don't like that, do you? Pray for those that's been cursing you. Yes, absolutely. Pray for them. How can I overcome that? When standing in the presence and you feel that bitterness swell up in your heart, in the silence of your heart, I've done this a number of times. I have asked, oh, Lord Jesus, help me love them like you love them. And immediately, 
God delivers. That has never failed. That the Spirit of God has not helped me in that time. Sometimes we respond with withdrawal. Those of you who know me very well, and several of us have had this conversation, I, I stay to myself. If you don't hear me talk, you can't misquote me. You listen to me? If I don't say anything, you can't misquote me. I have said things and, and didn't want it repeated, and it got repeated. But withdrawal, God never left a Christian to be a Christian all to himself or herself. We need each other. And sometimes we respond with self-pity. Self-pity ultimately says, I have no confidence in God. You get to that place. You find you a place of prayer. Get alone with God. Joseph teaches us in times of persecution and adversity. He teaches us several things. I want to give you some familiar verses of Scripture. Look with me, if you will, or if you just want to write them down, look at them later. Let me tell you what Joseph teaches us. He teaches us to wait patiently upon the Lord when we've been mistreated. Is there a wife here today you've been mistreated? Is there a man here? Is there a young person you've been mistreated? Learn to wait patiently for the Lord. Wait upon him. Here's our verse, Isaiah 40, verse number 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah, in writing um, out of this great chapter, he lets us know that if you'll just wait on God, things aren't always going to be easy in life. Wait it out. It's amazing what a day or two will do. It's amazing what a few weeks will do. It's amazing what God can do if you'll wait patiently upon the Lord. I get ahead of the Lord often. He often calls us from Scripture to wait. And then he teaches us to, to walk humbly before the Lord. Just keep moving. Let me give you some familiar verses of Scripture. Some of you probably have these marked in your Bible. Lamentations chapter number 3. Verses 21 to 25, listen to what Jeremiah the weeping prophet says in his brokenness. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have a hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Have you ever stopped and to, to think in your bitterness and, or in your brokenness or whatever it would be that, that God did let you rise this morning? If all of us would have got justice, friend. If all of us would have got justice, we'd be in hell with our back broke. And we want God to deal with something in our lives. Just thank God and be mindful he didn't deal with you. But he gave you some space. Watch what he says. This I recall to my mind, therefore have a hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Jeremiah said, looking back, taking inventory every morning, the mercies of God and his compassions fell down. Great is thy faithfulness. Verse 24 and 25, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. He teaches us to wait patiently on the Lord. He teaches us to move forward in life humbly. Then I thought about this. He teaches us to live our life faithfully. Before the Lord. Two verses out of Hebrews. If you want to jot them down, Hebrews 4, verse number 14, one of my favorite verses out of the book of Hebrews. He teaches us to live faithfully for the Lord. Listen to what he calls us to do. 
In verse 14 of Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, since we have Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, our great high priest, he says this, let us hold fast our profession. It's always right to do right, to live up to your name as a child of God. Listen to chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 23. He calls on us again. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let me tell you something else Joseph teaches us. He teaches us to trust God boldly in the face of adversity, wholeheartedly. I won't give you the verses. There are several. But two Old Testament characters by the name of Joshua and Caleb, they had to wait on God 40 years before they realized the promises of God in their lives. And the Bible says several times that they wholly followed the Lord. It's not always easy, is it? We think serving God and telling people to serve God faithfully, (laughs) we think somehow that that's living life on easy street. But when you've been mistreated, that is not living life on easy street. I've shared with you before uh, a verse that lives in my heart every day. I suppose every day I pray. I quote this verse and I pray this verse. I share this with somebody every week through a text or a phone call. Psalm 37 and 5. I knew I, I can take you right back to the spot I was standing walking and reading the Psalms. And it got so numb, I couldn't shed a tear. I couldn't do anything. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't mad. I just, I didn't. That verse says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. Miss Peggy, you remember a lot of those days in my life. Several of you remember a lot of those days in my life. Troy and his family, of course, they were. They had a front row seat to it all. We're all family. My mom and my stepdad got a front row seat to that. Marcia, you and your family witnessed a lot of that. It went on blow after blow after blow after blow, every one of them major blows for two solid years. I remember today being Mother's Day. I think of my mother, and uh, I, I remember... Um, if you'll let me reminisce, I'll let you reminisce. Let me reminisce a bit. I'd spent the night. I'd, I'd started revival services at West Tallahatchie Baptist Church. On that Sunday morning, I'd preach Sunday morning. I'd preach Sunday night. I was not pastoring at the time, of course. I went home, and I changed, and I went to Oxford Hospital. My mother had had a major surgery on Friday, and I was, it was my turn to spend the night with her. And Harry was to come the next morning. And I would go home, sit down at my desk, and make radio Recordings for the week. And I had been started maybe 15 minutes into the recordings. That would have put me at about Tuesday's recording. And Amanda, she come over to the desk and she said, you got to stop. She said, Janie is taking a turn for the worse and she's asking for you. And I just uh, turned the power button off, got up, keys to my truck, went to Oxford Hospital. She died about an hour later. By the time I got there, I didn't know if she recognized me or not. I, I didn't know if 
morphine, you uh, ladies that work in medicine, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have seen your moms and your dads, your loved ones go by way of cancer. My mom and I had a conversation uh, when I had cancer. Toward the end of it, she cried. She was, it was hard for her to express her feelings. Matter of fact, I don't know that my mother ever told me she loved me until I was a grown man, married, and had children of my own. Amanda taught us all how to say I love you. She was made up like her daddy and her mama. They never could say it for some reason. We knew they loved us. They just couldn't say it. It's hard for them to get close. I'd led my mom to the Lord. Do you remember the service? It was a Sunday morning. We were just singing congregational hymns. Five got saved that day. She's the first. God just took the plans and threw them out somewhere. She broke. She come down the aisle and waved to me. And I said, Mama, what's wrong? And she said, Son, I've been living a lie. I'm lost. I need to be saved. We went down the hall into Lynn Robbins' Sunday school room, and that's where she confessed herself a sinner and asked Jesus to forgive her and save her. I baptized her shortly thereafter. I saw a change in her. But uh, she and I had one conversation about my cancer and her willingness to have cancer if God would let her have it and let me live and raise my kids and preach. Only a mama can do that for you. Your mama maybe even get maybe get some things wrong. But she's your mama and she loves you like nobody else loves you. Fellas, we learn to love them. These ladies loved them before they ever saw the light of day. Nobody can love you like your mama and your daddy, young people. Stay close to them all the days of your life. I'd spent the night that Friday night and um uh, and, uh, or that Sunday night, excuse me, and then she died. And the funeral was right here that Wednesday. Brother David Barnett, Brother Marvin Ward preached the funeral. I sat where it would have been the second row by my wife and family. I remember Brother Marvin saying in the service, he said, Brother Kevin, you don't understand it. And he said, I don't imagine you ever will. It was just blow after blow after blow after blow after blow. And I remember we left here in the funeral procession, went down to Eddington Cemetery right near my home where my mom is buried, where Harry eventually will be buried, and I trust we will too. And I won't ever forget, not bitter, numb. I won't ever forget looking around and walking up to that hole in the ground, and I thought, is this it? Is this all she gets? Is this it? What is it, a three-by-six hole? I can remember the night my mom left my dad. He'd whoop us. It's a wonder he didn't kill my little sister. She can't remember any of it. It's a good thing she can't. It's really a wonder. She was three, I was five when my mom put us in a taxi. We went to the Greyhound bus station. My grandmother, mama didn't have the money. We got on Greyhound bus. I remember sketches of that. We was allowed to take one toy. She packed us a change of clothes. We had one bag and a toy apiece. And my grandmother was waiting on us in Tupelo to pick us up. We lived with her for years, a few years. 
But I can remember little sketches where my daddy would start in on my sister. And if I got to crying, he'd hit me, knock me across the room. My mama would always take the brunt of it. So you understand, when I walked up to the grave that day, after we'd been through all we'd been through, I said, Lord, is this it? Is this all she gets? <laughs> is this it? And I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me something. I believe your word. I know I'm saved, but I'm hurting. My family's hurting. My stepdad's hurting. I don't know what this is going to do to him. I can't even minister to my own wife. I remember Amanda saying, Kevin, none of it makes sense at all. She said, none of it makes sense. I mean, it been two solid years. Two years. I won't keep you another hour. I could talk to you an hour about those two years. I rarely share a lot of things out of my own personal life. One of them, just one of them alone made my head spin. I will never forget the Spirit of God in a very sweet way. In that still, small voice, I'd been reading through the Psalms that year. I took all that medicine. Psalm 23, 4, just like a light, come on. And God spoke with a loudspeaker in the stillness of my heart. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort. How do you get through times? They're very trying times. You've got to know something about God. You've got to know something about his presence. You've got to know he's very nigh. He's very nigh to the heart of his children. He understands, as we said earlier in the service, our tears, our pain. You got to give it to him. You had a good mom and a good daddy. If it hadn't been for the Lord, what would you have done? There'll come a day. There'll come a day your faith will be tried, just like Joseph's was. And you're either going to have to put your big boy pants on or give in to the flesh. That's where we're made, right? You've lived long enough. You two have lived long enough. You two back here have lived long enough. That's what we have to do, isn't it, Brother Jimmy? I wouldn't make either one of you feel uncomfortable, but you've had to say goodbye to a wife. That wasn't easy, was it? I don't know how people who don't know the Lord make it. Do you, brother? <laughs> Some days I can't hardly make it now, and I know it. <laughs> greatest encourager in my wife is my, in my life is that little woman that I live with. It's been talked about, run down. There's a group of ladies. She didn't wear dresses and jewelry nice enough for them. They'd look at her with scorn. She walked on. She just walked on. W will you forgive me if I tell you this? There's been a couple of three times since I've been here. We'd go home and sit down wouldn't say anything. We just knew the feel of everything. And I'd say, you know, Amanda, it could be. And she'd say, the Lord's always taking care of us. She's quiet. 
And she has a strong faith. If you'll look around, there's somebody you can lean on to. Not going to get the message preached. Let's stand. Miss Angie, would you please come to the piano? Somebody, somebody needing to just plead your case before the Lord. Would you do it today?